Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Lisa here. I just want to thank you for supporting my podcast and being a loyal listener. I am so grateful to you. To show my gratitude, I am now offering 15% off at my online store. Visit me at lisacongdon.com to shop colorful archival art prints, stationery, desk accessories, home goods, and more, all at 15% off with code PODCAST15 at checkout. That's right. Get 15% off of all of our products at lisacongdon.com with code podcast15 at checkout. Link to the shop in the show notes. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 38 of the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I'm so excited today to bring you my second interview with Sarah Sturm. Sarah is a graphic designer and professional cyclist and also my friend. And we have many shared loves, including but not limited to art and bikes and community. I had Sarah on the pod way back in the summer of 2021, and I'm thrilled to have her back again. If you go to Sarah's website, you will find her describe herself as someone who races bikes, makes art, and that she's mostly here to have fun, meet wonderful people, and see beautiful places, and that her biggest trophy in cycling is the ride. And that's what we're here to talk about today, doing hard things and staying connected to the fun. Sarah is incredibly humble, and I would be remiss if I did not tell you on her behalf that she is one of the fastest, most technically talented off-road endurance cyclists in the world. She placed third in the Lifetime Grand Prix, a series of six gravel and mountain biking races in 2022, about which a docu-series was made and in which she features prominently, and which I will link to in the show notes so you can watch it. She also represented the USA in the World Gravel Racing Championships in Italy last fall and placed in the top 10 in that race. She's a super talented designer and has collaborated with Primo cycling brand Rafa on a number of designs. She's also one of the kindest, most humble human beings I've ever met and has a smile and laugh that warm my heart every time I'm in her presence. Sarah works hard and is incredibly talented what she does and what she does is really, really, really hard. But unlike a lot of professional athletes out there, she's not willing to do the hard work of training and racing if she's not experiencing joy. Sarah and I talk about staying connected to fun when your job or passion requires discipline, hard work, and pain. I invite you to bask in Sarah's energy and learn from her wisdom. Let's welcome her to the show. so stoked to have you on the podcast again today. This is your second appearance on the show. Yes. And today we're going to talk about doing hard things and staying connected to fun. You are a phenomenal bike racer and graphic designer. We met at a gravel race two years ago and became fast friends and have gotten to ride together and race together, albeit miles apart, (laughs) a few times. And I love lots of things about you. But what I love most is how committed you are to keeping things light. You chose bike racing as your job, and we can dive into this more, but at some point, I imagine you realized you weren't having fun and that in order to do this thing, you needed to stay connected to joy. So those of us who are lucky enough to get to have jobs that are theoretically supposed to be fun, whether it's riding bikes or making art or coaching or working outside in nature or fill in the blank with your dream fun job, even those jobs can be a drain when we're faced with challenges and monotony and client demands and the pressure to make money, et cetera. 
And I think this is such a common issue across like a wide swath of career choices. This idea of staying connected to fun is also applicable to people who have hard hobbies, right? Like things like bike racing or running or anything outside of work that you do that that's really hard. So you and I have talked a lot about staying connected to the fun and in what we do. We both have careers that on the outside look like dream jobs to other people, right? You probably get that a lot. And in addition to that, we have gained a good amount of notoriety for what we do, you in bike racing, me in art. And from the outside, that can seem so appealing to observers, but there's a dark side to all of that as well. The pressure to perform and say yes to opportunities and be successful. And we're both people who value joy, but who have also experienced serious burnout, right? And as a result, we've started to do the work of making major changes in our lives to stay connected to the joy. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into all of that, for those folks who don't know you, the question I ask all my guests this season is to start by telling us the sort of short version of your story about how you came to do the thing you you are known for or that you do today as a job. And you can go as far back as you want to lead us to today. That was like such a great summary. I'm like, we could end the podcast. <laughs> I just have to sit here and smile and raise my eyebrows occasionally. Yeah, that, yeah, wow. I'm like already like 20 million things went through my head. So, okay, your actual question, I'm going to try and stay really focused. So just wave your arms when I get so <laughs> off. I got into cycling. Well, my dad road bikes. Like he was a road cyclist when I was growing up. And therefore I honestly wanted absolutely nothing to do with cycling. Cause in my mind I was like, that's for like old guys with like saggy see-through chamois. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dad, get some new chamois. We could see the Lycra <laughs> bursting at the seams there. So yeah, I just, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I've always been like such a social person. And all my friends were doing soccer and swim team and track and martial arts. So I did. I've always been like definitely drawn to sport. I really like the mental and physical challenge. And I think that that's been something that I've always like sought out all through my life, even as like a little kid. So fast forward to college, I knew I wanted to leave my hometown, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I found a little liberal arts school just like four hours north in Durango, Colorado. And I went to school at Fort Lewis. I was able to get some decent academic scholarships. And I remember choosing graphic design on the drop-down menu after Googling what graphic design was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. You can design skateboard decks. Like, sign me up. That sounds fun. I was like the only class I ever cared about or felt competent in in high school was AP art. And I crushed the APR portfolio because I could spend as much time on it as I wanted. It wasn't like my AP physics class. I don't know why my mom let me do that. I'm pretty sure I got the score that you get for just putting your name on the test. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I chose, I chose Fort Lewis. And honestly, it was just incredibly lucky that it happened to be the number one ranked collegiate cycling team in the country at the time. And little old me gave the, you know, I was like burned out on soccer. I actually went to Fort Lewis to potentially play soccer. And I decided that I actually didn't want to play soccer anymore, even though it was the thing that I had done since I was in elementary school. So I joined the triathlon club and I was like, mm, I still like don't love running and swimming, <laughs> but I'll try this like cycling thing and called up the cycling team and was like, hey, what kind of scholarships do you guys give? Like so presumptuous that they would give me one. And they're like, well, let's see you ride. And I just truly got last in every single bike race <laughs> I did. But I really like, I just, I really loved it. I loved how much there was to know. I also remember being totally intimidated. Like everyone knows like what different tire tread to like run and like, who cares? Like it's a tire. Like I just... I remember like listening to kids talk in the like Fort Lewis cycling vans, like on the way to races. And I'm like, they know so much about this sport that I just thought was like for old dudes. And over the course of four years, I like learned how to race cyclocross bikes and mountain bikes. And I truly was really bad at most of them, except for road. 
road riding. Which is ironic because (laughs) that's not what you do today. No. Anyway, so yeah, just, I, I guess my point is that I, I was really like just new and learning and I started riding mountain bikes when I was 20, which is actually like fairly late, especially now. I mean, kids start on strider bikes when they're like two. So yeah, I like, I remember it being like a really exciting, but also like very emotionally and physically painful time. Like very, very distinctly remember the first time I went for a mountain bike ride and I didn't crash. And that's in my like adult memory, which is not the case for a lot of my competitors. Our friend Serena also got into the sport really late. So it's like, it's totally a thing that can work out. And Georgia Gould, like multi-time Olympian, like bronze medalist, like she started riding when she was 28, which is like... Yeah, there's like a couple of people who are in the Tour de France femme who yeah. were like... Older. It was only, the, it was like their first professional race and they were like in their late 20s. It was crazy. Totally. And I was always like really inspired by people like this woman, Evelyn Stevens was a road racer at the time and she was like a Wall Street banker and then like signed up for like a Fondo and anyway, ended up being like one of the most like talented American road cyclists of our time, which is, I love those stories because like oftentimes we're given this script of like, oh, in order to be a professional athlete, like you need to start development when you're in middle school, you know, in order to be this. And it's just not true. Like you just have to really want to do it, which we'll get into has a lot of twists and turns with that. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually telling Serena this morning that I was listening to this podcast yesterday about how late bloomers have an advantage because a, you choose the thing as opposed to being forced to do it by your parents or whatever. And you have all of this life experience, like your brain is fully developed by the time you adopt the thing and that you do it for reasons that are more intrinsic. And I don't know, there's all these reasons. And I just found that so fascinating and also like reassuring. Oh, uh, totally. I think about that all the time. I mean, I just turned 33 and I've already had a career, a 10 year career as a graphic designer and, you know, now a seven year career as a professional cyclist. So I feel super lucky that I, I do. Well, <laughs> it, it, there's also a shadow side to that. Like I, I do sort of feel like I'm losing skills like when I retire from cycling, like what am I going to do? But I think that's what everyone sort of feels like with a career change mm-hmm. or the more you get into one career. But I feel really lucky with all of that. Like I'm glad or I feel very lucky that I had the opportunity to be a full-time in-house graphic designer, which is a very different experience than just, you know, being out there on your own as a designer. But I, you know, I got to have like a true like nine to five life. And like, I sort of jumped ahead in my timeline. Long story. I graduated from college. I signed a a local pro team. I did the pro mountain bike thing for a while. It was fun because it was with friends, but it also was like, one of the harder times I think in my life as an athlete, I just felt like I sucked all the time. And then I finally realized, thanks to my partner, Dylan, asking me driving home from a bike race, if I was having fun and it never occurred to me that you could like have fun and be a bike racer. And then I quit. And then I eventually came back after I did some other stuff. And I think that that was vital. There's no way I would be sitting here talking with you if I hadn't stepped away for a couple of years. But then I came back and sort of like right place, right time, was able to sign my first pro contract with Specialized for Cyclocross. And then things sort of just blew up from there with gravel racing getting more popular. And I won the right race at the right. I think I just have had really like weirdly lucky timing, (laughs) to be honest. But yeah, and now here we are. So Sorry, I kind of did like a slow and then very fast. (laughs) (laughs) This year, you launched a project called It's Supposed to Be Fun. Yeah. So tell us about the trajectory of sort of like your bike racing career once you got back into it, which is where you just sort of left off and how you got to the place where launching a project with that name became important to you. And I'm really interested in why, you know, A, that part, but then B, why you decided to share that with others, like... Is this something that you found other cyclists struggle with as well? And is this something that the industry needs to hear more about? 
Yeah. You know, I wish I, maybe I need you in my life more when I make these decisions, because those would have been really great things for me to think through before launching this whole project about having fun. So no, I honestly, I didn't, I really am sort of a shoot from the hip kind of person. And to be honest, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from other women in the sport. And like the positive side of Instagram is that I get to connect with, you know, people I've never met who are just getting into the sport or who have been in it. Other pro racers, I think it resonates with some, it very much doesn't. I'll get into that. But it was important to me to remember why I'm here. And so that's why I created this project. And the concept of it's supposed to be fun is obviously like sort of a loaded title, which it's supposed to evoke those like questions internally for everybody. Because as we know, nothing, especially when it's a job, will be fun the whole time. But I think the intention like asking yourself those questions is super important. Like, why am I here? Like, it doesn't need to be fun all of the time. And in fact, it cannot be. It's not a consistent thing. And fun has a different connotation to different people at different times in a different context. And for me, I've always like, the one thing that I I want to like influence and hopefully change in the sport of cycling is not only bringing more women into it, but showing people that there isn't a formula that you have to follow. There is not a cookie cutter shape you have to fit into. And the deeper and deeper I get into my career, the more and more I'm challenged by that because it's an intense job. Like I remember my first stint at being a pro mountain biker. I was, you know, things about the sport didn't sit well with me. Like having to put your feet up when you got to a venue and like all you do, you go to this new place and you pre-ride and then you go back to your hotel and like sit on your computer and like make sure you're resting and hydrating and you did your protein shake after the blah. And I just am not... I am a weird combination of like, I'm sort of type A, but I also have this other side of me that fights that piece because I, and maybe it's the like creative side of me that like fights that normal athlete archetype, but I just have tried so hard, maybe too hard at times to like forge a different path through the sport. And I have said aloud and to my partner that like, the things that are important to me, I'm going to prioritize like my relationships, my friendships, my relationships with my partner, my family. Those things are more important than winning any bike race. And I thought that there would be these moments that that was like a big decision. Like I would make like, oh, I'm choosing Dylan over this. And really, it's just a lot of really small decisions that actually end up being the hardest ones that like add up over time. As anyone who's chasing any career has probably felt tension with those pieces in their life. And fun is also one of those relationships for me. And at the end of the day, especially weathering some like really heavy stuff that happened last year, I'm like, yeah, sport is important. And like, you know, trying to be your best and like being a professional, all of those things are really important. And fun isn't anti those things. But for me, in order to enjoy the pursuit of sport, I have to enjoy the process and fun is a part of that. And it looks different in a lot of different settings. Like objectively riding 200 miles is not necessarily like a super fun endeavor, but there are moments that were like really fun. And there are also moments that are really honestly pretty god awful. <laughs> yeah, some of it is just like finding the joy in the suffering mm-hmm. and understanding also that, you know, this is what you've chosen to do. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of privilege in that, you know, that you get to choose to suffer. Absolutely. I've heard you say you have to work hard to have fun especially if it's your job. And I always remember this because it reminds me that I have to be intentional about joy in my job and keeping my job joyful. Like it isn't automatic. And one thing I think we agree on is that it's not always the race or the training, you, you just referred to this, that that needs to always be fun because there is just suffering in endurance athletics. And there's just suffering at working hard in anything you do, even if you're not an athlete, right? But rather that the experience as a whole needs to be fun or joyful. So tell us about some of the ways that you 
find joy in the experience. Yeah. I mean, being a bike racer. Totally. Okay. This is like a really personal example, but like I had the opportunity to travel to Italy this year for the first ever gravel world championships. And my teammate and friend, Sophia, who's, I would say as opposite as you could get in the sport. She also went and we have the same sponsor and our shared sponsor specialized brought us to this event. She was competing her country is Argentina, mine is the US. Anyway, we're in this like amazing house in Italy that Salvador Dali stayed there. I later found out. It was this incredible villa in Italy and Dylan was there for a different race and anyway, the stars aligned. I was able to go. I was incredibly excited about this new experience. And Sophia and I are staying in this house together and it was comical almost to me how different our approach to the sport was. And I think it it's sort of like, almost like there was a little friction in that because it made each of us second guess our approach. Or maybe Sophia was like, my approach is right. And like, whatever, Sarah's just Sarah. We've known each other for over a decade. So I think we know how the other one functions, but she was very much like had a plan for every day. On this day, she would stop going out to eat. She was making all of her food. And I was like, we are here to get the full experience of everything. And so the things that I struggled with was like trying to figure out like how to fit my job as a bike racer. Like I was taking it serious and I was really excited to see how I stack up against all of these other women from around the world. Like my first opportunity to truly do that as a gravel racer, which was incredibly exciting to me, but my approach is really different. If I took it as serious or if I was as regimented as Sophia was going through the process, I would have imploded before I even got to the start. And so my way of like negating stress is by doing things that are fun to me. So like Dylan and I would go and like walk around and like explore a little bit. Like I went and rode with some other like American teammates and pre-rode the course and we had a great time and had gelato and, you know, espresso and like did all of the things. And, you know, Sophia's approach was totally different. And at the end of the day, I think she had fun in the way that she pursued that endeavor, as did I. Like if she took the same approach as I did to like preparing for that race, I think she would have been a mess because we're just really different people. And like on that same trip, she was like, I don't understand this like fun, like professional sport is not supposed to be fun. And I was like, well, wouldn't you say that you like in a different way, enjoy yourself? And she was like, yeah, like I enjoy like being competitive and like having everything dialed in and matching her socks to her shoes and her helmet and that. And I was like, well, that is like your version of having fun. (laughs) And to me, it just showed this juxtaposition of what enjoyment actually can look like. And in a lot of ways, it's just a pressure release. And I think you have to have that pressure build up. So like that to me is it's all the like not fun moments. And then the like simple little things, or maybe they're big things like winning is fun. That's a great example of like relieving some pressure. Or sometimes it's like going out to get an espresso and some gelato, you know, after you previewed part of a boring ass course in Italy. (laughs) Well, and I think too, like just your everyday kind of traveling to races here in the US, you drive this like old school bus that's painted with your designs on the outside. And we always laugh because this summer we were at a race and somebody was like, why does Sarah drive that shitty old bus? Why doesn't she? Because everyone has this, like a lot of pros have sprinter vans. Totally. I mean, you're not the only one to drive a van to a race. Like a lot of people do it, but like your van is, it's like an old school bus, like a kid's school, like a short bus. It is a short bus. (laughs) And it's not yellow, but it's really cool. And there's actually a sticker on the back that says one less sprinter van. So (laughs) <laughs> Which I love. But anyways, you also bring Norman, your dog, mm-hmm. to a lot of things. Not all the time, but Norman travels with you and you document your experience of like being at the races. And rarely is it the race. It's usually like the shakeout ride before or like hanging out with friends or people you haven't seen in a long time. So there's obviously like figuring out how to make what you do that's kind of stressful and high pressure and anxiety producing, like how to make that whole entire experience fun for yourself. 
to me, it's obvious that that's like sort of part of what you do, you know? I think I just had this thought. I was listening to this very sciencey podcast called the Huberman Labs. And oh, I love Huberman Labs. Yeah. I was like Nordic skiing and listening to this. And I was like, I think maybe my ADD, like that's how I should have done school <laughs> was just moving and listening to lectures. But he talks a lot about divergent thinking And I think for people like us and probably a lot of, you know, the people who listen to your podcast are divergent thinkers. They take something that's in front of them and you try to make it a little bit different. And to me, that's how things progress in our world. You know, there's a bit of mimicking and copying, if you will, or like, you know, interpretation of one thing and how it's supposed to be. And then you alter it a little bit and like change it and think differently. And sport in so many ways to me was always like really captivating. And then the deeper and deeper I got into it, I'm like, this is actually incredibly boring. And it's the same thing over and over again. And that is a big reason that I stepped away from it. I was also a lot younger and I didn't realize that I could actually do it in a different way and have success. And it wasn't until I stopped trying to like fit myself into that, like, that cookie cutter. These are like silly examples, but like, I truly think like, that's why I stopped having fun and I wasn't enjoying myself. It also was like very much challenging who I was as a person. And so when I came back into it, I used to wear jean shorts as like a reminder that like I was choosing to be there in a different way for myself to enjoy it, to enjoy sport, to enjoy competition and I know like the jean short thing has like, you know, it's like the cool guy started thing now. a trend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was definitely not the first and won't be the last to wear <laughs> uncomfortable denim on top of spandex for a bike race. <laughs> but to me, it was like this signifier that like, and I used to wear this like little bow on my helmet when I was in college. And I remember I had a teammate tell me that like, that was inappropriate and I like had to fit in and match with everybody. And I was like, man, there's like so many things that I just don't jive with. And in my adult life, I I love that you said earlier, like I totally have the privilege to suffer and to choose this as not only a hobby, but, you know, it's turned into my profession and my job. But with that comes different challenges of like, there are moments now and it gets even more complicated when money is exchanged where like I am expected to do these things, but I have to figure out a way to do those things in my own method. Right. In a way that works for you. Yeah, totally. And supposed to be fun was really a selfish thing. Like I, it came from a conversation I had with a sponsor about like, well, isn't this all supposed to be fun? Like I know that it's sport and it can be very serious and blah, 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 blah. But like really at the end of the day, we are riding our bicycles, like something that brings people like joy when you're doing it. And that relationship for a lot of us especially if you've tried cycling or anything as your hobby, the further and further you get into it, it is not fun all the time. And it can be really hard, but that is just the process of growth. Yeah. I was thinking about when I first started my career, we were sort of transitioning into the internet era. Yeah. And in the old days, like if you were a graphic designer or an illustrator, like you were either a graphic designer or an illustrator. And if you were an illustrator, you were either an editorial illustrator or a surface designer or a, you know, fill in the blank. Like you had to specialize and there were all these rules about like you couldn't be a fine artist and a commercial artist, like so many rules. And I feel like we're in this era right now where partly because we're in the information age, people can sort of like proclaim themselves, not only just an authority on something, but like you can sort of make your own rules in a way that in the old days you couldn't, and you can kind of find your way. And I, I, you know, I'm self-taught. I never went to school, so I never learned the rules and I sort of intuited them once I started working and I was like, oh man, I actually want to be all of these things. I want to do all of these things. And I understand that I'm breaking the rules, but I don't care. Right. Because I'm going to do it my way because otherwise it's not going to be fun. Otherwise I'm going to get bored. Yes. And now everybody does it the way that I do it. But I was definitely one of the first people to be like, 
I mean, there were a lot of other people out there doing the same thing at the same time. That's kind of like the way the world works, right? Like there's this zeitgeist, right? And it just sort of like, it happens where people are like, this is bullshit. Yeah. I'm going to try to do it a different way. And there's so much power in that. And one of the things that was so inspiring to me when I learned about you and your story was this idea that you didn't train like a lot of other people trained and you have a coach and obviously you have some structured training, you have to get ready. But there were times where you weren't even looking at data and you go on a lot of rides just for fun. You don't post everything on Strava. Like you sort of approach it in a very different way. And that was so comforting to me because I was like, oh, there's not one way to be a cyclist, right? Mm. And now I'm sort of like working with a coach and making things a little bit more structured for myself because I really want to get faster. And I had kind of depleted my own resources in that you know, department. And I had a really hard year last year where I lost a lot of fitness. And so I'm trying to get that all back. But like, I love that, you know, you have friends and teammates who approach things so differently than you and you both are standing on podiums. Like, I think it's such a great example that, you know, what works for one person might not work for another and that we have to allow for there to be different ways to work and to train and to be in the world. I, my coach, I honestly feel like most of the time he's my therapist. (laughs) Like truly, we just had such an interesting conversation. And this is, this is my new art form I've decided. And what a pleasure that is. I get to like work on myself as my job, which is cool. I mean, I guess that would tie into a lot of different jobs, but it takes a lot to like show up physically and mentally prepared for these physically hard, mentally hard things that we sign up for, that we choose to sign up for. But we started talking a lot about like fear and risks and failure. And I had this moment when I was riding mountain bikes with my partner, Dylan, right after it had snowed here, which usually like weirdly snow sometimes makes the trails easier to ride, especially when it gets packed down, you have more traction. And this was not that day. And uh, we went down this trail that's like a super mellow trail. And I was just losing it. I was just sliding down the sides of the hills. Like Norman was like looking back at me like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) I just like sea ottering like the luge down it. And Dylan's like hopping over stuff and like being epic. And he ends up like trying to explain to me the physics, like art major (laughs) over here. Like, what are you doing telling me about like, physics of this turn and like why I need to lean this way. Anyway, I was just failing at it. And by the end of the ride, I'm like, cool. Well, I'm pretty sure that I am the first person ever to feel worse after a ride than when I began. And I told him, I was like, I think my perfectionism prevents me from like progressing forward because I, I lose sometimes the idea that even when it's your job, like I have this thing in my head that I'm like, I better call my sponsors and tell them that I sucked today at training and they're going to want all their equipment back. And like, I'm going to get fired. And like, I'm a professional and I've just looked like a little sea otter out there in my chamois losing down the trails. And I, I think like the perfectionist side of me, like I hold myself to this standard of like, I must be good at this all of the time every moment. And that pressure in the back of your mind of like, you can't ever fail has really like prevented me from like moving forward in the next step. Like I've sort of been like taking a little baby step forward, maybe to the side, maybe to the other side, but I just can't seem to like make it that next step. And I think a lot of it has to do with fear of failure And I remember feeling like that as a graphic designer all of the time. Thank you, Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And when Instagram started, you know, you were one of the artists that I followed that like, it's so fun thinking back, like, oh, looking at your art and just like, I will never be that. And then you just want to give up. And like, I think that happens in some way, shape or form in everyone's life, in every career. And a lot of it has to do with fear and like, having this like fear of failing, you know, like, but as cheesy as it is, like you really have to risk everything to like be able to move forward. Yeah. You keep saying, or I've heard you say before, I'll, I'll never do this again. And then, and then you do it again. (laughs) 
every time. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think, very typical in type two fun. You know, you forget the pain and only remember that you did this really hard thing and then you get psyched up to do it again. So talk about when you know you actually don't need to do the thing again versus when you do. Like, what do you look for in yourself when you're trying to make a decision of like, is this, was this aspect of my career actually something that doesn't align with me or my goals? And like, when do I need to push myself to grow and move out of fear or discomfort? Mm, That's a really good question. I feel like I'm actually still very much figuring that out Mm. because I I sort of have the same approach that you have with your art and design. Like I want to do everything. Like I want to try everything. Maybe I have done that in the past with other, like I don't necessarily feel the need to be a professional mountain biker on the like pro XCT circuit. That's really a dream that I like, I don't know if I ever really had it, but I like <laughs> everyone in Durango has it. So I like felt like I needed to. And then I love, okay, that's a great example. Actually. I love riding my mountain bike and I don't love racing it all the time, especially in like a, a pro XCT form, which is sort of like a shorter format, like really intense racing, I just don't like pushing myself on technical stuff in that way, in that short of a time frame. And it's something that I've like stepped away from because like, I guess the older I get, the more I realize like how valuable time is. And in order to be incredible at that sport and learn more and more, you have to dedicate a lot of time. And that takes away from all these other things that I also really like. So I'm sort of still like, dealing with that push and pull of like, what do I really like to do? And like, how much do I have time for? And, you know, also fulfill these obligations that I have as a professional athlete. It's really hard. And I just, you know, was on the phone with my mom, not one day ago, while I was like doing a workout, like just coming on corked about everything and just feeling like I'm just doing a bad job at every part of my life. And she was like, I really think that you're up against that. Like you need to step away from some of it. Like you have reached the point where like, there are too many things and you have to like start honing in on the ones that you actually want to commit to and then commit to those things. So like, I would just say like the longest answer ever to that question is that it is the ultimate work in progress. (laughs) Yeah. I can relate to so much of that. Like I, I'm stepping back from so many things, like saying no to so many things because you can't do it all. And like, I've been trying really hard, even though the like, you can't do it all adage has like been in my brain from before I even started my career. Like I, like we know that. Yeah, we know that. (laughs) We know there's like a finite amount of time and energy that every person has. And I'm finally like 15 years in, well, actually now I'm almost 20 years into my career. Like realizing that I have to have really strict boundaries about what I'm able to do and what I can show up for and what I have the energy for. And like, you know, if I take on a hard thing, then I have to let something else go. And that's a hard decision because like, there's one particular race that I've been nagging you to sign up for (laughs) because I want you there. And you're just like, I don't know if I can do that. And like, intellectually, I understand, but then we get pressure from our friends. Like totally, you have to do all the things, right? Cause then you have FOMO. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did I look up how much tickets are the other night when you DM me? Absolutely. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can I fly from Oregon to Iceland to the, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. the whole thing? And I just had like, as you were talking, I was thinking about this. I actually really, I've decided I really like new year's I really love the idea of like forced reflection because it's something that I think I'm actually really bad at. Like I don't, I don't look at anything behind me. I'm just like, uh, 2022, what a shitty year, you know, but there are actually like some really good moments and it's important to look at like, I'm playing back like some of the ends of some races. And I told, you know, my coach like, oh, I feel like I have this like governor on my brain at the end of a race, even though like I just fought like hell. I got hit by a cow. I had crazy like stomach cramps and was puking and I made it to the end of this epic race. And then like I just let 
the podium spot go because I like yeah you came in fourth in that race yeah and Haley was like a minute ahead anyway it just yeah and that's happened a lot like Sophia beat me for the tiebreaker a seven month long series and we had to sprint to the line (laughs) for you know precious seconds in the tiebreaker but all of that to say like it's so so vital to like actually look back and then try to like move forward. And part of that for me is like, I am someone who like, if my house is cluttered, I can't focus on other stuff. And when you were talking about letting go of some things to bring new ones in, I I literally like thought about my closet. Like we've all been there, especially if you're like a creative person and you're like, you look at this like massive packed closet full of things. And you're like, I have truly have nothing to wear. Nothing fits my mood right now. My mom said that I was always like the kid who had like multiple outfits in a day because my mood would change and I would change my (laughs) outfit to fit that mood. And I've decided that I like, I want to be sort of a minimalist maximalist. And in order to do that, to find these things that fit me better and like fit who I am, I have to get rid of old shit to bring new stuff in. Like I'm literally going through my closet. Like this is a literal example, but it also like is so applicable to like so many other things. Like I had a lot of other projects going on last year and the irony of the supposed to be fun project was that was a really hard one to make happen. We even have another episode coming out soon as well. And it's just like, I'm just learning so much about like how to do these things in this world. And I have to like, we collectively have to like let go of a lot of stuff to bring new stuff in. And it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think as I get older and like figure shit out, there's always something new to figure out. Like once you think you figured it all out, there's something new. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But that's just like such a, it's just like a work in progress for me as well. This idea that I can't be everything to everyone and I recorded this monologue podcast, which came out at the end of 2022, where I was talking about like my work right now is like not always going after the shiny object, Mm. right? Just like kind of looking at the big picture of my life and saying like, you know, that I'm not going to, I can't say what it is, but I turned down this really big job and that job was like a shiny object, like a dream job for me, like on paper, just amazing. And like the old me would have just been like, but it's a shiny object. I have to say yes to this. Like it's going to be bad karma. If I say no, like I'm never going to get hired in the industry again. If I say no, like I would tell myself all of these things. And then eventually I realized that like 50% of the shiny objects were like miserable experiences. Not that this one necessarily would have been, but my gut feeling was like, you need to rest in the beginning of 2023. And like, this job would start in January or February. And, you know, like if you have a bigger goal of getting more grounded and like having more spaciousness in your life, this isn't in service of that. So why don't you go for what's healthy for you and what you love versus the shiny object? And boy, that was a hard decision to make, but I feel so good about it because it was the right decision to make. And that was a huge example for me of, having to say no to something because it wasn't in service of like this bigger idea. And like you were talking about reflection at the end of a year, I agree. Like there's so much you can learn from your experience, like what went wrong and why did it go wrong? Well, sometimes it's just stuff we don't have control over, like riding your bike into a cow or, you know, (laughs) puking or whatever on your bike race and the coming in fourth and not third. But like, sometimes we actually have made choices that we are the architect of the disaster right? And I realized that so much of what sucked about my year was like stuff that some of it was out of my control, but a lot of it had been in my control. And I like actually went against what my gut was telling me was the right thing to do because I wanted the shiny object. Right. Not always in work, just sometimes in life and, you know, other things. So I'm just trying to like be really thoughtful about my decisions. You also, you said something that just struck me and I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this too, because, you know, you're working with a coach and like you understand the value of rest. And you said that, you know, you brought me along, (laughs) or I was involved sort of as a, a bystander in that whole experience for you. And I learned important lessons through you 
like actually listening to what you needed and knowing that you needed to start the year with rest and like you didn't go after this shiny object for maybe the first time and, you know, learning those lessons and as me, your friend and like you as my mentor, like that, that's something that's really valuable for me to see. And I would say as like driven people, it's really hard to rest and make space for things. As an athlete, I would say like the thing that I struggle with the most is like knowing when like my body, my brain is actually like really fatigued and tired. And it's this concept of like, if you rest, then your next workout will actually be more meaningful than if you just like push your body into the ground until you have to take two weeks off and then rebuild from there, which is honestly until this year, what I've always done. And that's, I think that's actually the thing that most athletes struggle with is taking time away. And I'll just replace the word athlete with driven people. Yeah. (laughs) It's like that making space and like, it's oftentimes a really challenging decision, but I mean, there are no right and wrong decisions, right? But I think you're just making ones that are a little bit more aligned with actually how you're feeling and who you are. Yeah. I I had an experience a few weeks ago where, so Serena is a mutual friend of ours and she's, as most of you know, my coach, and she assigns me these workouts and she assigned me this workout on, you know, just a regular workout on a regular day. It was nothing particularly hard about it. And I was exhausted and I that particular day before and that day, my legs felt fried. I think it was like a, a week of like hard workouts and I was probably under some other work stress and life stress. So I texted her and I was like, I'm going to take the day off. I'm not going to work out. And I'm one of those people that like, I'm a true Capricorn in that, you know, like if a teacher gives me an assignment, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to get an A plus. <laughs> so I'm like the perfect student. Cause I never miss my workouts But what Serena did is she texted me back and she's like, I'm really proud of you because you're listening to your body. And I don't want this to be a blind exercise for you that you just do everything I put in training peaks for you. You know, like you need to, you need to listen to your body and you know what's best for you. And we keep having that conversation over and over. And I mean, it's great to have a coach who's like super supportive of me listening to my body and trust that, you know, if I say I'm too tired, I'm too tired. And sure enough, like I came back just fine afterwards. So, okay, last question for you. How are you looking at 2023? And what, if anything, do you hope is different for you this year? Oh, I already feel really different than I did at the beginning of 2022. There were so many unknowns, which is usually when I flourish when I've never done something before and I'm like, this is going to be crazy and different, but I actually approached 2022 with so much pressure on my shoulders and we don't have to go into all of that, but I just created this monster that just rested ever so nicely on my shoulders for the entire season. And it started out really rough and then got way rougher. And then I slowly crawled out from under it. So for 2023, I actually feel really positive, which is a new feeling for me (laughs) this past year. I've not (laughs) felt very positive. I know I've witnessed some tears. We've both cried. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You've seen like close to some of the lowest lows. And yeah. So anyway, I feel like 2023, like I know, I feel like I'm just like, I've weathered some storms and I'm like, all right, there's going to be some shit that happens. And I'm actually really excited to like, be stronger and tougher mentally, but also I'm really working on some self-confidence and like fighting that imposter syndrome of like feeling like I deserve to be on the start line, which I know that like Sarah Max and I have talked to, I remember telling her that, you know, when we lined up for like these massive bike races in the professional women's field, I don't think any men struggle with that. I think they're on the other end of the spectrum of like, yeah, I deserve to be here in front of the pro women. (laughs) Yeah. And we are like the, I'm like, yeah, I think everyone else, these 4,000 other people behind me should probably just be in front of me. So I feel like I'm really like excited to like come into this, like owning the space that I'm in. And like truly being confident in like my approach to the sport, because if anything that last year showed me, it's that one, (laughs) it's a long season and a lot of shit can happen. And also like 
there is really not a singular way to do anything. Because even though I, I can only do it my way, like I even started like a couple of weeks ago was telling my coach the same thing, like everyone's in Tucson training and I blah, 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 blah. And I actually don't want to be doing any of that. I really like skiing and not being on my bike right now. And like, it's, it's a long, like I have to make it till the end of October. <laughs> also, everyone is not in Tucson. I mean, there are people in Tucson training, but not everyone is in Tucson training. Totally. I know. I, and I know this in my logical brain. But it's funny what we tell ourselves. Yes. And I'm just so, I'm just so hard on myself, but I'm trying to like allow myself to cry a bit more. I've, I have found a great tool for that, which is Grey's Anatomy apparently is incredibly sad. (laughs) I did not know this, but it helps me just like really like the number of times that I've cried on the trainer. Friends came over and they're like, "Are you are you crying?" <laughs> it's like it's a really sad episode. <laughs> but anyway, I would say like for 2023, I've set some like I've started some really awesome habits that I'm excited to like continue on with that actually make me feel better. One is writing in a journal. It slows my brain down, and I really I really loved it. And I think that like my progress like the last month is because of that. So I'm really excited to have that as a tool for this year. And I'm actually excited to race my bike, which is not something I, I don't know if I felt that last year. So. And you're doing the lifetime Grand Prix again, which you were on the fence about for a while there, but you're doing it. Yeah, I am doing it. It actually yeah, I, I'm actually like super excited about it. It's nice to like know what to expect this year. There's actually going to be like a really cool series that's coming out. I just saw the the trailer, the sneak peek. It's going to be sort of like that Drive to Survive, the F1 series that was on Netflix. So it's funny like watching something that you did. I texted the director and I was like, wow, you made that look way more fun than it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a program coming out about the Lifetime Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it'll show all of the personalities behind it. But yeah, I have some other fun creative projects coming out and I'm just trying to follow follow the old heart and not yes. not do the things that I think I should do, which that ink will be going on my body very soon that you gifted me for my birthday. Yeah. So Sarah and I are going to have a matching tattoo. I'm so excited. Which is basically should the word should with a line through it, which some of you who follow me on Instagram may have seen. And I gifted it to Sarah for her birthday. So she's going to have it too. And like the whole idea there is like, follow the fun, follow your joy. Don't do something because you think you have to. Which is sort of the theme of this episode. (laughs) Yes. I know we we were going to talk about like staying connected to the fun when you're doing hard things. And basically that just means like doing things because they're your choice and staying connected to like your why, right? Mm -hmm. Which is just so important. And letting go of toxic stuff that prevents that. (laughs) So just one last thing. Letting go. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And chatting with me about this really important topic. And I wish you all the best in 2023. And I'll see you in April at Special Bun Gravel Camp. Yippee! I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone.